I had an understanding that beauty is not just about my skin. It really has to translate through my eyes, through the page, through the camera, you know, to the woman or the girl. And it was more about how I connected than how beautiful I was. Welcome to the Madeline and Becca podcast. The mission of our podcast is simple, to inspire professional self-confidence in women everywhere. I'm Madeline. And I'm Becca. On our podcast, you will hear stories from real-world influencers, women who have experienced tremendous success in their careers by building self-confidence. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Dale Haddon, knows beauty inside and out. As she says, it's not just physical beauty that makes somebody beautiful. Dale discusses how beauty is communicated through physical attributes, through kindness and generosity, and living with gratitude. Dale is an iconic supermodel and founder of Woman One. Beginning in the 1970s, Dale has represented four top makeup brands, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, Max Factor, and Revlon. She appeared on over 100 covers, including the 1973 Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, and was twice named to Harper Bazaar's 10 Most Beautiful Women. Dale is also the model who broke barriers for women over the age of 35 when she became the global face of the new anti-aging lines for Estee Lauder and L'Oreal. She is the model who shattered age taboos and redefined the notion of aging and beauty for all women. In addition to her career as a trailblazing model, Dale is also an actress and a best-selling author of two books, Ageless Beauty and the Five Principles of Ageless Living. Having been raised in a family that always gave back, Dale became a UNICEF ambassador and traveled globally to some of the most dangerous regions of the world. In 2008, Dale founded Woman One, a nonprofit devoted to creating positive change in the lives of women and girls globally through access to quality education. On today's episode, Dale will bring us inside the modeling industry. During her early career, she was told she was not model material. Dale persisted anyway and ultimately redefined what is beautiful. Throughout her 40-year career, Dale has always celebrated the success of other women. She's seen beauty and fashion trends come and go, but she believes self-confidence starts with loving yourself. Dale will also share how Woman One has transformed the lives of women and girls around the world. Here's Madeline. Let's start, Dale, today with your background. Um, as an iconic model in the 1970s and 80s, you represented all sorts of top makeup brands, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, Max Factor, and Revlon. And I know you appeared on over 100 covers, um, Sports Illust- Illustrated in their swimsuit issue, and among many, many, many other achievements. Can you tell our listeners, as a young model, how did you cultivate self-confidence? Hmm. Self-confidence comes with experience and time. 
You know, it, it, you, it, if you're extremely fortunate and you've had, you know, been affirmed, you know, and not bumped into any limitations or criticisms or something like that. And I don't think very few people out there have that happen. Then you might sail into life, you know, in the early years and young years, um, super sure of yourself. I think as a young person, you're always not sure, but I think that the passion or the drive overrides your insecurity. I think we're all a little afraid when we start something we don't know, we're a little new at it. So I think that that's the battle, if you call it. Um, Not quite a battle, but that's the overcoming. Um, I still get afraid uh, or concerned or something like that, but it's also gets your batteries going and you get excited and it, 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 you feel fantastic when you overcome your insecurities and your fear and you get affirmation for what you felt was the right thing to do, the passion for something to do that you wanted to do. Um, that is an incredible validation that starts to build and begin your personal development of self-confidence. But it takes time. You have to risk a little bit. You have to be afraid. You have to make phone calls you're not sure of. Um, sometimes I, I, I pick up the phone to dial somebody. I have no idea what I'm going to say. But I have a lot of confidence in my um what we call your own personal Shakti, your own personal energy. So I like face-to-face interviews because I I feel my energy mixed with that person's energy will make something happen. And I always keep my focus. I tell my interns, don't focus, you know, don't take it personally. Just focus on what you want to get done. See the end result. You know, if you keep focusing on the end result, it doesn't matter that somebody said no. Um, It doesn't matter that somebody said that's, you know, you're focused on what, like when I wrote my book, people said, how do you write your book? I always saw the book finished. And so I was measuring while I was doing it, the finished product in my head, you know? So if you really focus on what you want, it kind of offsets the voices inside you that say, you can't do this. Why you? Someone else can do it better. You know, how do you, who do you think you are? We have these little voices. I just tell them, all right, get in the back. <laughs> in the back of the car I'm driving. There's only one driver, you know. And and um, it, it works because I don't think you gain anything without a little fear. You have to walk through the fear and get to the other side. I love that. That's wonderful advice. And I think for those of us, on the outside, looking at the modeling industry, right? And they're such incredible, you know, um, standards for beauty. And it looks so effortless, you know, when you, on on this side and thinking about what you actually went through to be, you know, to have developed that tough skin um, and be able to handle setbacks or challenges or criticism. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think I've ever talked about this before, but, you know, my career is so long. So I, I, uh, the, the, you know, 40 years or something in it. So I've been through a lot of um, culture changes, regime changes, considerations of what was beautiful or not beautiful. There was only a, like a one type of beauty when I was start, starting. So basically, 
I was not considered model material. You know, I was very small, had a little round face, I had curly hair, dark hair, dark. No, everyone wanted to be blonde, California, Swedish or Texan or California. <laughs> you know, that was the look. You know, there was no ethnicity, very little ethnicity or uh, age, you know, differences, things like that. But, and also, but I think I had a lot of excitement and will and goodwill. And I think that served me well. I always, I think, was very nice to people, kind to people, picked up my clothes, hung things up. Um, and so I think that served me in the future. Kindness, I think, and um, thank you, saying thank you to people and thank you notes and things like that um, give, give, gave me a longevity. And I, there, you cannot underestimate um, thoughtfulness, uh, kindness, um, you know, just thinking about the other person rather than yourself. It When I started, I was kind of a teen model. So because I had been a dancer, I could kind of move and do things like that. And But it was a little bit like Mean Girls, you know, in high school. <laughs> so, you know, the other models who were more established, a little bit had more sophistication, they would collect in one side of the room and I would go, hi, how are you? You know, I'm on stale. You know, and they went, no. <laughs> so it was, you know, it didn't, it didn't, um, in French, they say, bless, bless me, bless a, uh, it didn't wound me. It disturbed me, but it didn't wound me. And I, I still worked my way through it. And the fact of the matter is it's really funny because I had a vision of myself as a very sophisticated model, even though I looked cute, you know, not beautiful. I wasn't considered by, but cute, you know, oh, she's cute, you know, things like that. So I think I had to walk through the mean girl stage a little bit like high school, like I said, where uh, I was ostracized and shoved out and not considered their equal. So I, I walked through that. I walked with as much grace as I could, because again, you just can't take it personally. That's what they think. And this is what I think. And I tested what called tested a lot. So I tested I mean, you you have to build up a portfolio and bit by bit by bit, because you, when you have that strong vision in your head, there would be one photo that would convince one photographer, another photo. And then I kind of bypassed all those mean girls, you know, and so and then they kind of disappeared in the industry and I kept going and kept going. And the brass ring in modeling is always a makeup contract. You're doing everything. You have bread and butter work. That's like catalog and things that are, you know, not glamorous, but, um, but they give you a lot of money. But the brass ring uh, is, a, is a makeup contract. And I was fortunate enough to have four of them. So usually you, you're lucky if you get one. So I was lucky enough. And I think it has to do something with communication because it's it's very intimate. It's close up. And women would write me and say, I think you understand how I feel. I think you understand my problems. And so and I had an understanding that beauty is not just about my skin. It really has to translate through my eyes, through the page, through the camera, you know, to the woman or the girl. And it was more about how I connected than how beautiful I was. And 
Um, in terms of, I know you were the model that broke barriers for women over the age of four, uh, 35 when you became the global face of the the new anti-aging line um, for Estee Lauder. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> and thirty-five. Uh, <laughs> 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 by the industry that I was over the hill and finished at, at about that age. It was so just like, whoa, we're just starting now, you know. <laughs> um. So could you just explain um, for our listeners how you had the confidence to to be that kind of a trailblazer for that in that time period? I know, like you said, over 35 was just, you know, I'm sure people told you that you were finished. Yes, the in, the entire industry, even the, the, the ones in the know, because it, you, you've got to think of also what we're used to now is not what was happening at the time. So a woman over 40 was, her products were imaged on a 20 year old who didn't need them. And it would just, I'm very logical. It wasn't logical. First of all, I felt, I felt that I hadn't reached my peak, so to speak. So I said, well, how can an industry tell me I'm over when I don't feel I'm over? So I said, I'm going to fight back. And I thought, this is a great opportunity for me to, from the inside of the industry, to change their perception of a multi-billion dollar industry. And so I went to the library, did a lot of research, and came out at, the, at that time that there were 43 million baby boomers and, and that we weren't being imaged. So basically, the industry was saying, you're not worth it. Uh, you're invisible. You know, it was a subtle shove to the side of a whole millions of millions of women. So I said, I think that, you know, I when I get on something that feels truthful to me, I, d I never think I, ne I, I, I never when a person says no, I don't think that no means no to me. All it means to me is that they don't understand yet. So it's up to me to digest it for them and present it in a way that they would understand that that's just my makeup and I'm logical and it doesn't make any sense to me that if a girl is beautiful, she should become a full woman, beautiful. When we as women together have to decide together how and what is beautiful because you can't completely fight the wrinkle war and you don't want to, because I don't want a blown out plastic perfect face, you know, maybe a little, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but I mean, um, so we have to do, um, define together that, uh, you know, what are the secrets and gifts that each age is bringing us instead of desperately holding on to the age we left. So, you know, I, I wrote two books. They're both bestsellers. Um, uh, ageless beauty, I think is the first one and the five principles of ageless living because I just felt that there wasn't enough information for women about what is the beauty of moving along in life? How can it be beautiful? Like at this stage, I'm into philanthropy and philanthropy is part of generosity. And to me, that now folds into my definition of what is beauty. Beauty is also being generous. There, there's no question I worked with the most beautiful girls in the world physically, but I want to say to all the listeners out there, if somebody is gifted with great beauty, that's like a talent, like a musician or, you know, but it's up to the person to animate their beauty because there, it is such, it's as, as if you got a box 
wrapped so beautifully and you, you, you look at the box with a beautiful bow and you undid it and there was nothing inside or a terrible mm-hmm. thing inside, you know? So it's not just physical beauty that makes somebody beautiful because have you noticed when you're with somebody that maybe isn't physically beautiful, but their, their soul, the inside is so beautiful or animated or exuberant and you walk away and go, Oh my God, that person is so beautiful. But beauty is very arbitrary and it really mixes. I I think if you're very young, it mixes, you know, the inner with the outer skin it has to mix together. The, the, the essence of the person has to come through your skin and through your eyes I think if you're 20 years old, you have a grace period. You have a, because you're not expected to be wise or, you know, necessarily, or, you know, be phenomenal in your career unless you're an exception. So you have time to develop. But basically, uh, you have, I I say a beautiful girl, a physically beautiful girl at any age has about a two minute grace period. And then she better deliver because the promise is so huge. Like, oh my God, the person is so beautiful. Oh no, they're not at all when they start opening their mouth. So I I was around quite a few like that. So that um, in a way, their insecurity was very palatable because they would consider I'm only as good as my skin. And my eyes, I, I don't have anything inside. And for me, I guess, because I wasn't taken uh, for so much for the physical, it was much more about my personality um, and and what I could communicate with with the great photographers that, that gave me my uh, hand up, you know? So, um, yeah. And you mentioned um, your two best-selling books, Ageless Beauty and The Five Principles of Ageless Living. Can you tell our listeners, why do you see age not as a liability, but an asset? Because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we it's inevitable. We age. It's inevitable. And, you know, some, when you're younger, Age is freedom. Like I can hardly get to this age, and her. And as you get older, you go, oh, please, I can. I wish I had my this back, or I don't want to get. Oh my God, I'm hitting forty. Or, but I think if you use logic, which I like to do, as I said before, is that we have a finite time here on this earth, and as a young person, you're bursting to go up and into life. And then you kind of even out. And th- and it's in here, you're really defining who and what you are. So for me, I say, you know, the 30s can be bumpy. You decide maybe you get married or maybe you have a career or maybe you're kind of making, you know, rough format of what you're, you know, building for your life. And then I think when people face 40, I call that the gateway because that is the gateway into your real life. I think the real, I mean, I'm just saying this um, as a, a metaphor, but a way, but I, I have the idea of a door opening because at that moment, I think that's a moment around 38 where you look and you say, Oh my God, I'm the age that I understand of my mother. And then that can be a recognition of this is older, but it is the beginning. It is a real beginning. And once that door goes open, then in the 40s, you're either raising a family, you're building that career, and it can be powerful and bumpy. 
And uh, my daughter is turning 50 this year. And I say, okay, hold on, strap on your seatbelt because I find 50s are kick butt time. You just you have to watch out because that's when you say, I know who I am. You're not going to tell me who I am. And I am carving out all of this territory and it's mine and don't come into it. <laughs> you know. And so it's super, super powerful. And then the 60s are more serene. And then, you know, and then, and then, and then. But again, it's up to us together to define, you know, there's wisdom that comes with aging and you can't buy it. You can't, you have to experience it to be wise. And I think I'm in the most interesting, most powerful, most complete time of my life. I'm a mother and a grandmother and I can look back and pull from all my experiences and, and decide and make shortcuts, you know, and say, and also all of the contacts that I've made. If I'm going to build something or do something, that's why I say, you know, go back to what I said about kindness and writing those letters and, and because the people will take your phone calls if they remember you as being thoughtful, nice, kind, um, calm, no mess, you know? Not that there's there's always a mess, but you know sometimes and you can be stronger going through a mess. As you know, Ryan was I'm sure talking my daughter Ryan who who who's on this wonderful show too. Um, so that they can be important as well. But basically, if you uh, people will take your call and say if you call them and say I have an idea, what do you think if we build this together, or who do you know that I can help build? That's really important. So the, all the ages are important. And as far as beauty is concerned, um, we have to decide together again. I'm always saying that as women, because it's a quorum. You need a quorum to decide what is beautiful. If we only say only a blonde girl's beautiful or a white girl's beautiful, then that quorum sticks with that. But what what's happening now is we're opening it up and saying, all you know, races are beautiful. All ages are beautiful. All genders are beautiful because there's beauty in all of us. We, we have that spark of beauty in us and it's what you focus on. If you're going to focus on differences, that's all you're going to see. If you're going to focus on the unity of all of us, um, then you're going to see and experience beauty in everything, in everyone, in every you know, I, I mean, I go out every day in the country here and I, I'm so grateful. I just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what I'm experiencing. And that's another piece and part of beauty. And I think what age brings you, but if your younger listeners can get that young and really go to sleep before you go to sleep or when you wake up, you know, decide the theme of your day. I'm deciding it's going to be a great day and going to sleep, I am grateful. List 10 fabulous things of what happened to you that day. And you'd be very surprised how much greatness happens in a single day. So all of that comes with time. Uh, and then all of the big, the big supposed things like prizes and being the first and number one and being the most beautiful or the richest or the first or in your class. All of those things don't really matter. They all get evened out. It's nice. It's like a sidebar. If someone's going to give me a prize, a lot of times I see it's so I can, it's kind of sad, but it's so I can bring a table to, you know, to their event, do you know? And I, I, I take the prize 
for Women One, for my charity, because it 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 brings attention to the platform. And I'm happy about that. But I'm well past, uh, I need my picture here, I need this or that, only if it can do something to support uh, the work and help others. Because, I mean, how much ego stroking do you need, you know? Let's shift a little bit and talk about your philanthropic work. Um, first, um, I know that you uh, got involved as a UNICEF ambassador. Can you tell us about um, what that work entails and how you got involved? Yes, having been in the the beauty business as long as I was, I was always I've always been looking ahead before I was fired or something, you know, before I was kicked out or fired. Say, what could I do? If this came to an end, then what could I prepare for in the next, the next? And I thought I could use the platform I have to do good in the world. And I loved what, you know, I was, I went to many of the UNICEF dinners and I think I was very inspired by what Audrey Hepburn had done. At that time, I remember looking at a movie and I think at that time there was only Audrey Hepburn. Maybe there was Danny Kaye and Audrey Hepburn. So that was the movie. And I said, you know, I think maybe I could use the platform and my contacts that I had in the fashion and beauty industry um, for good. And so I reached out to them through friends and started talking. And they said, well, we cannot get our stories into the, into the magazines. Could you help us get the story? I said, okay, give me the stories and let me see. So I went through all their stories and there were some really interesting stories, but I edited them, edited them down, went to the editors in chief who make the decisions of all the different magazines and they, they loved it, but it, it was like a, a secondhand voice. I hadn't gone there myself. I was telling them about other people who had gone there. You should do a story on this. Some people went there and this is the story they wrote back. I remember a shoeshine girl, the only shoeshine girl of shoeshine boys in Somalia and she would make five cents and two cents would go to, for her education and the rest would go to her family. And I thought it was such an interesting story. So when I, I saw I was so close, but I couldn't get them to do the story, I went back to UNICEF and I said, the only way this is going to work is if I go myself. So they made me, they, they st- decided to give me a really cushy job at that time in a four-star hotel. At that time, it was Haiti and, um, and before the earthquake. and. Um, I later went back with them after the earthquake. So, uh, but I said, no, I don't want that. I want Darfur. Well, Darfur at that time was it's, they have five levels of security. It was level four, level five is total evacuation. So all families are gone. It was very, very unsafe. So I asked for that and I don't know how I got it, but I got it. But then I, to back it up, I went to Oprah because I had been on Oprah and I said, I would like to give you the exclusive if I can get the film and Glamour magazine. So Glamour had the exclusive. So that's another thing of how I do it is you've got to, I always tell my interns, it's about fishing. You've got to, you've got to figure out, you know, on your, on your fishing rod, what attracts the fish. You know? So I said, well, I could get you Glamour you know? and, and possibly, oh, and they went, yeah, okay going to Darfur. Exactly. So um, I had to do an incredibly, it was like a 10 hour test because if you don't pass that test, you cannot go. The UN will not let you go. And we had the whole of UNICEF in there because the questions were so hard. And there were things like, 
if uh, someone holds you up at gunpoint, what do you do with the keys to your car? And I go, I do not know. Swallow them? I do not know. You know, um, <laughs> do you run? No, you lie flat. You know, things like that. And, and you know, you'd hear, I mean, it was just, I can't, I won't go into detail because it was a little bit terrifying. But needless to say, we went and <clears throat> uh, we went into Sudan and then on a cargo plane into Darfur. And I stayed longer than the UNICEF people because we were filming and photographing within. And I, I listened to many, many, many stories. And it's, it, it remains to this day one of my favorite trips, maybe because it was my first trip. But it, it was, it's just, you know, the, the UNICEF place there looks like a bombardment place. There are, you know, tires protecting it, gun guns, barbed wire. It It's not safe. It's really, really not safe. So some trips are difficult like that. And UNICEF does a great job. So I went to many places with them. Uh, it was called In the Field um, and saw many things from, you know, cholera camps to, um girl little children dying of aids you hold their hand and you know some of the people just broke down they couldn't take it it's not for everybody you know and not everybody has to go but it was in one trip to angola rural angola to a clinic where women had walked all night with babies strapped to their backs and they to get medical help and a doctor pulled me aside and said um could you help us. We need two microscopes. And I went, yeah, sure. So I went to the powers that be and I said, they need two microscopes. Can you help them? And they looked at me and said, Dale, that's too small for us. And I went, oh, wow. Okay. And I was thinking, well, it's not too small for those women that walked all night. So there is room for a smaller organization, kind of light bulb went off that can work with the bigger organizations and support them and help the great work they, they already do. And so Women One, the idea of Women One was born. And I decided to focus on education and girls' education because, you know, being around women in fashion, I, I was focused on the girls. And because girls are bypassed, they're either sold, married off, or brought back into the family to, to work. And so their future would be uh, without education, probably many, many children, not healthy and not healthy themselves and no voice. So that to me was really, really important. Um, and I spoke with many of the mamas like in Kenya and they, you know, um, had that operation where the, the sex part of the, the, uh, them was taken off and things like that. And the highest level of education was grade four, if any. So they were basically saying, not on our watch. If you can help these girls, it's extraordinary. So they were telling me in detail all of that and all of their life. And they were working like crazy to get their children, you know, and they say a girl child, a girl child uh, gives more back to the community. When a, when a girl is educated, uh, occurrences of HIV AIDS goes down, uh, occurrences of um, brutality and things like that uh, diminishes. And that if a, if a mother can just read they say that uh, she has 50% chance her child will live beyond the age of five. So there's a lot of ad ad advantages. And a, a girl will give back to her family, her um, community, and the world. 
uh, when she's when she's educated. So so that's what we did. We're in seven countries. We we built a school in Haiti and Senegal, and we're in um, we we partnered with Duke University in Jordan, uh, where I went to Jordan, and we had a workshop there where we gave the Syrian refugee girls there who are very educated and, and very cultured, but we gave them cameras and we asked them to film and photograph what they couldn't speak about. And they won many awards, including at Sundance for their films, two minute films, five minute films. So it's, it was really, really powerful films. So we were, in, like I said, seven countries, but we're drilling down in Nanyuki, Kenya, and we have the center of worth there. And we've taken the girls, I've known them since they were 13 or 14, and now they're graduating. And we have new um, a quorum coming in, a new quad coming in. So we're, because of the COVID, they don't have enough to eat. Uh, so they, they're sub- subsiding on one meal a day. They don't have soap to wash. They don't have masks. They don't have uh, education. They don't have contact. They can't go out. The mothers, there are usually many single mothers, have to go out to make a daily income. They usually sell vegetables or work in a field. So we decided over the summer, we reached out to all our followers and mine on Instagram, which is Dale Haddon on Instagram, by the way, um, to uh, bring together an emergency fund for these girls so we could buy them also the necessities a little bit of food, uh, you know, some soap and things like that, but get them phones that they could continue our classes and make it virtual. And we did our first Zoom call the other day. And it's just, they're so grateful. They're so grateful. You know, thank God. They're saying, thank God, you know, the people thought of us. Thank God. So we raised um, $26,000 over over the summer virtually, which is, you know, the large part was the generosity of two donors. It was a matching donor that each gave 10,000 each. So that put us up to 20. And then we, and just people giving a hundred dollars here, $50 there, 200 here, got the rest of the six, 6,000. So, so we've got bought them. We we're starting as a test run. We're starting those girls and see how they do, but they don't know about muting yet. They don't know about, you know, speaker, you know, so they're learning. So hopefully I'm going to try and get everyone, get them, you know, do a one-on-one and get people to ask questions on Instagram, do an Instagram live talk. You mentioned the center of worth. Can you tell us um, what is the center of worth and why did you start that? That's in Kenya, right? That's in Nanyuki, Kenya. Yes, it's north of um, Nairobi. It's about three hours north of Nairobi in a beautiful, beautiful area. It's um, greener than other parts of Africa. And it's also one of the biggest rose growing areas in the world. So it's kind of interesting. We, the girls have, so a lot of these girls come from also living on the street, working and living on the street. Um, A lot of them are abandoned. A lot of the children are abandoned. So we take those in as well um, and make sure they're healthy, try to return them to their family if, if we can. um, And then, put them in school in any way we can and support through scholarships. But what we found is it's a little bit different system than ours. And they have breaks um, like a month or so breaks. So during those breaks, we have special services and we work closely with our partner on the ground to decide what they need. Like, um, you know, I hope this is not too graphic, but 
they, you know, they're, they're told things like uh, if they put a lollipop in their certain regions, they won't get pregnant, do you know? Things like that. And so we said, okay, sex education, we have to do that. That's really important. Um, you know, um, tech literacy is really important. And also counseling, a lot of counseling, because a lot of them are very traumatized and they need to speak to a professional. I have held hands of girls who told me that they ran away because they were 14 and going to be married to a, an 80-year-old man. And they ran away from home and climbed in a tree and you know, hoped a wild animal would eat them. And then the next morning they were awake and they went, okay, now what do I do with my life? And just holding the girl's hand while she told me her story and crying um, or abandoned by their mother. And, you know, um, it just, it just stories like that. So we, um, which is kind of unusual for Africa because usually it's a really tight knit community, but in that area uh, it's like that. So, so we do the best we can with those, those girls and they're, they're thriving. They're really thriving. And they want to be thing, thing, things like we do. You know, they want to be a pilot or they want to be a surgeon or they want to be a journalist or they want to be just their dreams. And so maybe not all of them will get there, but some of them will. And they'll certainly be an educated mother if they get married and um, be sure that their children are educated. So when, when I say this to people in America, they go, why are you working with people so far away, you know? And uh, I say, well, because the world is getting smaller and smaller, we are affected by what is happening in other countries. And so if you don't make little silos of sanity that uh, will expand out, will ripple out like a stone in the water, ripple out, that will connect with other people, then we, we can't unite this world. We can't, other, you know, otherwise that is why something so far away can make us have to go through all of those security precautions at an airport, something so far away from us. So all of these little places that we're all helping, and I'm doing it in my small way, um, I, I can, are helpful for all of us. And you were asking me about the center of worth. So what we do is we take those girls at a time when they would be free and may go back to the streets and may start taking drugs or may be abused or may get pregnant. And it, they're very strict in, in Africa and a lot of countries in Africa. If you're pregnant, you can't go to school. So, and they don't have um, childcare. So usually if they get pregnant, then they're, it's finished. So once we teach them the things that the, our partner on the ground say, I think they need to know about this. I le leave that up to them and we just discuss it. And then we back here, we decide how we're going to raise the money for it, for the things that they need. It sounds very powerful. It's like a, it's like a bridging the gap um, yeah. and, and providing all of those very, very important life skills. How do you recruit um, teachers? Or do they come from the community or are they, they come from um, uh, other parts of the world? No, they come from, well, the, the guy that founded it is from California, Matt. And he's, um, he went there on vacation I think, no, do, no, to do some volunteer work. He went to do some volunteer work and he saw a little boy on the street who's kicking a soccer ball. So he's kicking the soccer ball around with him. And he just has a real talent for children, with children. And the boy, he, he, he asked the boy, what would you want more than anything? And he was thinking he'd say like a better ball or something. But he said, I want an education. 
So he said, wow, okay. Um, so he got his friends together and I think it cost at that time $300. So he and got the education. He stayed in contact with the boy and he said, what else can I do for you? And he said, I'm not the smart. And the boy graduated top in his class. He said, I'm not the smartest boy on the street and I'd like you to help educate the other children. And that's how it started. So he's, he, they love him. The kids love him because he just knows even the kids that don't come in the kids. Cause I went around the, the little local town with him and there's a lot of drug use, you know, so, and they love him though. You know, they yell out, Hey Matt, Hey Matt. So they respect him. They love him. He's kind of one of them. But in answer to your question about the teachers, he interviews and they have to be, they have to be the right temperament. They have to be loving. They have to be smart. They have to have wisdom, but they're all local. Do you have um, a particular um, story of a girl that has really influenced your life or you've thought, boy, this is something that's just so powerful. I'm going to carry this with me. Many, many. I can't tell you many. I have one girl, Mary, who's, I think I always, I, I, she stood out because she was so cripplingly shy that she couldn't speak. And we do home visits. So we, uh, once a month, they do a home visit to a family and we bring, you know, a sack of rice and some oil and maybe a pan, some of the barest necessities. Well, Mary comes from a family, single mom, that is in the poorest area is the poorest family. And when you see her beside her family, first of all, her mother is in rags with bare feet, huge bare feet, like a basketball player. She's huge with so much dignity in her, in her, in her ripped rags, do you know, um, and, and a turban wrapped around her head. And she and the, the other children, none of them have gone to school. She's the only one in her family that's ever gone to school. They, they're living in a hut that would be maybe four by six, six people, four by six. I just don't, I can't comprehend it. And um, Mary has her school uniform in, but all the children are in rags and bare feet. And the bare feet, it's not good because they have what chiggers go up their feet. So we have to give them medicine for that. And, but when I walked out of the house, because it's really not a house, it's, it sticks leaning um, in, I cried. I just went to Matt and I started, I, br I broke down crying. I said, we have to build them a house. And he said, Dale, you cannot. If you do that in the community, they, it will create such animosity towards them that they were singled out. And so that, that is so hard, you know? So we try to do it, you know, with a little bit of food that we can do um, for a family, a little bit of things like that, and then getting them girls educated so that they can be self-sufficient and they can. And that's what the mom said to me. She said, Mary is going to buy us a house. Mary is going to, I thought, oh my God, she was 14 at the time. Oh my God, the pressure on her shoulders. Mary's going to do everything Poor Mary. But she and I, she now is the leader of her, quad. She sings, she speaks. She gave me, a, when I last was there, she gave me a whole going away talk and poem she created. So coming from, I remember being in the car, driving to her house and she couldn't say one word. I said, okay, Mary, come on, Mary. Um, and so that she really inspires me when I see the transformation in, in the three years or the four years that we worked together. 
It's incredibly inspiring, this work. And I come from a family of educators. My mother's a librarian and my father's a professor. So I know the power of education. I mean, it is in the ripple effects of what you're doing in these communities. I mean, you just won't even know how far those ripples go out to change the world. So um, for all of our listeners who want to get involved, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can log on uh, to womenone.org. It's W-O-M-E-N-O-N-E.org. Um, we'll, um, we'll link that in our show notes. Okay, that would be great. And they can they can link on with me um, on Instagram because I mostly post on Instagram everything I'm doing. And that's D-A-Y-L-E, you know, Dale Haddon, just at, at Dale Haddon, oh, or at Women One in uh, um, both, both of them go back and forth. But my, it's more personal on mine because I talk about the girls and some of the stories and some of the other things I do. And they can, they can think about what, you know, they can think about what they could do to raise money. I mean, they could get together and do a bake off or do a sell off or do, you know, any way a a run, a marathon run in the name of women one, anything that they can do um, that can raise money, it all helps. And, and we can, we can personally tell them where it went because we, know the names of all the girls and what's going. It's small enough that you can see the difference and know the difference and make the difference. And we bought a campus. So we're building that campus. So that we're raising money to do that. And we have the great architect, David Ajay, uh, who built the museum in DC on African history. He is going to build a campus. So we're very, very excited about that. So that will give them a real home with a garden and um, a clinic and a, a world-class clinic because we're, um, we're, uh, connected with partners for the, for the hospital there. So that's how they can help. And if they decide women one is not for them, uh, which I can't imagine you would, <laughs> but I think anything in your community, because any way to help, um, you were talking about ripple effect before and just being nice and kind and, and thanking people in service in your day-to-day way, you know, throughout your day, whether it's a cab that you're in or bus driver or, uh, you know, giving up a seat on a bus or all of those things. We have no idea, you know, a cashier when you're checking out, do you have a great day? We have no idea the effect that can have on their day. We have no idea a positive effect it can have. So don't, don't think that that goes unnoticed. Just like, how you can poison the air, you know, when you just, you know, snap back at somebody or yell at somebody, you know, how your whole system gets jarred. It's the same with kindness. Your whole system gets soothed. And when we realize we are one, we are connected and what happens to your neighbor affects you. So that, um, I always say to my friends, if you have a success, it's my success. And they go, wow, that's so, you know, that's so interesting. Well, it's true. I'm just so happy if someone has a success because they're blossoming. It's like a flower garden. And, you know, you're not going to pick only one flower that you want to do well. You want them all to do well because we will make a better world. I mean, it sounds a little Pollyannish, but it's not. The world will be better as we agree that that's, um, that that is the connection necessary to make the changes necessary we need to make on this planet. We're in a very exciting time in this time. I mean, I know it's very difficult and with the COVID and everything, but it's also a time where all old systems are being demolished. 
you know, and it is an opportunity if we can stay positive and out of fear because fear is contracted and just get those little voices say, just get sit in the back. You know, you don't have to completely erase them. Just sit in the back seat. I'm driving. We got, we got this. And if you can, if we can take this opportunity to say in all of the history of this planet, we've never been in a moment as powerful as this moment on many, many levels. And it looks really bad, you know, in a certain way it can look and it, it might be rough, but we're in transformation. And I think the more we can understand the simple truths of, you know, loving each other, caring for each other, um, not getting, don't let politics get you crazy, you know, just do what you can do, do your best and don't let it seep into you like a poison that gets you off the rails and screaming at people that you love or family members or friends because they're not on the same page as you are. You know, it's, it's, it's much worse than what's really happening, you know, allowing that to happen. So we have to decide together again, that's part of beauty is, is beauty is also being graceful and kind and thoughtful and generous. It's not just having no wrinkles and being very thin or, you know, having blue eyes or a little dimple or, you know, it's not all those things. It, it really is your essence and, and what you do. You know, love is an action as a, you know, a lot of people say it's not just words. So I think that's a really important aspect to understand about this planet. And I think the key, the key to opening everything is gratitude is that if you are grateful for what you have instead of what you don't have, you know, I remember Christopher Reeves, you know, this famous saying is like, what do you miss most? And he said, just being able to, as he was paralyzed, just being able to cross the room and pick up a newspaper. It gets as simple as that, you know? So when other things are taken away, you're grateful for what you take for granted. So that, that's what we have to be grateful. And a great teacher said to me, <clears throat> if you can accept everything as it is, acceptance, totally acceptance, don't have to agree with it, but accept everything as it is. You're just even doing it, the action of saying, I accept it. I don't have to agree with it. I accept it in all its ways. Then immediately there's a calm that com comes over your body because we, we tense up and we fight and it is so hard on our body and you can't manifest what you want and need from that state, from a state of fear or a state of, you know, anger or apathy, you can't manifest. So the, the step up upwards in the tone in the scale of tones is through a total acceptance of what is happening and then move from there, you know, taking responsibility, your responsibility within it. But as again, as I said, you don't have to agree with it. You just accept this is the way it is because this is the way it is, do you know, no matter what it is, you know, even if it's a terminal illness, you, you have to go into an acceptance at a certain stage um, and then you take responsibility and then do what you need to do. But it comes from acceptance. I, I saw that in action with my daughter um, when her daughter broke her arm for the second time, exact same place this summer. So she broke it and I've never seen anything like it, the bone hanging. And it was just, it was horrendous. And it snapped like a branch, like a dry branch. 
And the second time around, my daughter was so calm and, um, her, her, her daughter panicked a teeny bit and she took her by the shoulders and said, looked at her in the eye and said, we've got this. We've got this. It's okay. We've got this. And she had to have surgery on it, on it the second time because it was, it has to be pinned in. And immediately my, my granddaughter calmed down because my, my daughter was calm. And it's from the, the classes we're taking too. And I knew that she, she'd put that into being. She just, she said, she said to me afterwards, I was totally calm. This is what happened. Now we're going to fix it. Now we're going to do what we have to do. And it translated to her daughter. So, and then it translated to everybody around. Nobody panicked. Just, okay, we have another break, you know, just, so it, it does really, really work. Yes. And that practice, like you said, I mean, that can be in, in a career or in your personal life or, you know, in a situation like your daughter faced this summer. Yeah. I tell my granddaughter a lot because as you know, with children, if, if they don't get something right away, they're, they're very upset. <laughs> you know, it's like they want it now. And I was trying to say to her, I said, Look, here's a saying I have, um, this or something better. And so, um, so we, it was something to do with chocolate, you know, and she wanted it. And I said, yeah, I, 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 let's look again. And we went in and we found perfume. <laughs> and I said, do you remember what I said? And she said, yeah, this or something better. She said, it's true. So now when I say that this or something better, I say to myself, I say, if this doesn't happen, something better will happen. And invariably it's true. There's something better. I like her, her perfume compared to the chocolate was better. <laughs> so then she says, oh, that's saying, that's saying. So I think you can get, you know, those ideas into children and get them to work them on themselves, you know, as children. But it's also good that we say it to ourselves. I say it often. It doesn't, things don't turn out. Of course, they don't turn out exactly the way we want. But I can say, you know, okay, this didn't turn out. Maybe I'm being protected. You know, I have to believe that because I'm on the path. I'm working on myself and I'm on the path. So maybe I'm being protected and it's not supposed to be for me. Um, you think that a lot, you know, if you want like a, a mate in your life or something like that and they don't come in you, and then you find out terrible things about that person, you go, thank God I was protected, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so just a little bit of advice for you out there. You guys there. Um, so I, I think that while I'm being protected because I, I trust myself and I believe in my journey. So, um, that comes, I think with time too, that you trust what you're doing, you trust where you're going, you trust that it's, I've hitched my wagon to my values. You know, that's why I moved here because I, wa I walked through it with somebody and I said, you know, fighting in New York and putting boxing gloves on every day with people that were against my ideas, which is fine. I've done that for many, many years and, you know, and been successful and not successful sometimes with it. But I just said, it's not hitched to my values. My value is being around my family, being a, helpful to my daughter who's building her career as a therapist, as you know, uh, hypnotherapist and life coach. And I can take, like I had Lyra, the, um, one of the middle ones here last night and I had her set a table and we made dinner together and we made a banana cake together, uh, you know, and just went out for Halloween, got some things for Halloween and I'm that links with my values that I am putting in the time uh, that makes a recipe that makes her have a relationship with her grandmother and that makes her solid as a, as a, as a girl and eventually a woman. Also, I remember when I did this with my grandmother and 
you know, so, so that's what I did. I, I hitched my actions with, to my values. You, I don't think you ever lose if you ask yourself, not your desires, but what you value in life, where, whether, where wants and desires, um, they're ephemeral. They usually cost a lot of money, you know, things like that. So, so that's what I've, I've done. That's the, my silver lining of in COVID is that I moved closer to my family and they're a part of my life now. That's so wonderful. Um, and I know that your grandchildren are going to, it's going to transform their lives, having a relationship with you in those ways. I think about my own grandmother also named Madeline, who's, you know, who I carry with me as her, you know, her namesake and all of those memories I had growing up, uh, things such as baking in the kitchen. I mean, those are really, they're small, wonderful joys in life. Yeah, it's true. And, and also not controlling it too much. You know, she's at an age, she's nine now. She's at an age where I said, you set the table the way you want to have all these napkins because there was an estate sale here and I bought up all the napkins. I said, set the table like you would dress yourself any way you want. And she got so excited. So just little ways you can find that reminds you of being a child and that allow the child to have autonomy, you know, that she can choose. And even if it's wrong or it's not completely right, as long as it's not destructive, that she feels proud and satisfied, you know, with her choices. So as we head to the end of this really wonderful interview, um, I'd like to ask you a question, which we ask all of our guests. Um, And in your case, you know, you've had such a, um, incredible accomplished career with such a wide range of things from iconic model and actress, author, spokeswoman, and activist. Do you have, um, you know, your best piece of advice for our listeners about how to develop professional self-confidence as you look back on your own career? It always starts with self. You, it always starts with accepting yourself, loving yourself, connecting to yourself Everything starts from there. You cannot love somebody if you don't love yourself. And you have to figure out, you don't have to do anything, but I would suggest that you figure out the what are the ways you can love who you are. And if there are things, you know, we all have shadow sides. So if you can find ways or techniques or methods to um Look at the shadow, look at those things and forgive yourself for things that you've done or done to others um, and do that process. Uh, anyone that wants to work, do work like that. I would suggest that they reach out to my daughter, you know, because she does. She has um, clients all around the world, but it's subconscious work because sometimes those subconscious voices that we're not connected to and not aware of were um were planted within us by ourselves or by others at a very young age. They say that all of that was affected up until seven from birth to seven. And so here we are as an adult and we're, 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 we're seeing, you know, things being thwarted all the time. So, so I would suggest uh, trying to find the way to, to hear those voices and, switch them for more positive voices so that consciously you're not being dictated to by the subconscious. And I find meditation is extremely important to connect to self. Um, I meditate every day, um, find a place, you know, quiet place, sit down, just watch your breath. If you want to do it easily, um, 
sit in a chair if you want to just do it a couple of deep breaths and just um, watch your breath go in and watch your breath go out. Or you can go on YouTube or any of those ways and just find methods of meditating. Um, I think my daughter has some guided meditations on her website. It's Ryan Haddon Coach. Um, it's loving yourself. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of all, loving and accepting yourself. And any of the things you didn't like or were ashamed of or that you did, uh, and then it can start from there. Um, pin up affirmations for yourself, you know? I am, just the sentence, I am is very, very powerful. I am. You know, in every tradition, I am, I am. So what is your am? I am great. I am powerful. That's not ego. That's affirming to yourself. Because we all have a spark of um, God in us, you know, so that is great. And we have lots of, you know, worldly and otherworldly support around us. So call on it, call on support systems, please help me to guide me towards the right path. You know, as you meditate, you can perceive more subtle realms and more subtle truths that can help guide you stay on the path um, and I would make a list of what you value most in your life and see if what you're doing links up with what you value. Because, you know, my teacher said to me that when you're linked with your values, success comes because the, the universe and everything, it, it's just, it's like putting a, a, you know, a train on a track. It gets on a track and then it can move forward. But when we're at odds with each other, it's the same with the subconscious voice. If you say want to have a relationship with somebody and then the subconscious voice go, all relationships are dangerous or all relationships you get hurt. Well, you, you wonder why in the conscious world, why you can't have a relationship. Then you've got to address the subconscious of what, what is being dictated to you uh, that you're unaware of. So there, there's a couple of things going on. Meditation can help, certainly help, and strengthen the inner wisdom, your inner wisdom, because once you shut off all the external externals and you go within, something expands, something, and stick with it. Just, you know, do even 15 minutes, 10 minutes a day until you build up. It's just like exercising. You can't just pick up a heavy weight and start going. Just do a little bit and, you know, light a candle if that, you know, helps you put a stone or a shell or a picture of something you love or whatever way you want to do it. Uh, it doesn't have to be religious, but it can be. It doesn't have to be. So I would say those are all ways. Um, breathing is really important. Taking a deep breath. It's really important because it can. And, you know, all of the things like sleep, eating well, exercising, get out in country, all of those supplementally help you support your intention uh, and make your intention clear what you want. Um, I'm following a method that's a Gurdjieff method with a great teacher right now. And um, that's been very helpful for me, but I've, I've, I've been to India. I've learned to meditate there. I've been to teachers and things like that. Um, but we have a lot of wisdom within and meditating can help access that wisdom and help you make better choices. Because once you come out of meditation, you're more in sync 
with what's going on. My other advice would be don't be around people that criticize a lot and criticize you. You know, the great saying for most, most of the traditions is keep good company. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Dale. If you're interested in getting involved or donating to Woman One, you can find more information at womanone.org. You can connect with Dale on Instagram at Dale Haddon. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed our podcast, hit subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you always to our home team of friends and family for supporting us in our mission. This episode was produced and edited by Madeline and Becca. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, you are somebody.